You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, well, you can open again over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. We're going to move on from verse 1 this morning. Uh, This is only our fourth week, and we're already going to another verse, so, you know, that's pretty good. I realize that you have verse 1 on your screen, but that's that's just to catch us up in case you forgot where we were. So we've been talking, uh, let me go ahead and read the verse. It says, I therefore, this is verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you and beg you, to walk or lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. So we talked about that verse for three weeks. We talked about what that calling involves and we talked about what it means to walk worthy of it. And if you haven't been involved in any of that, I would strongly encourage you to get the, get the teaching, get the podcast, watch it on YouTube, but pick it up. You can go to our website and pick up the archive there. But the, the bottom line of what we came down to is this, living worthily means that our practical everyday life is an outgrowth of our true spiritual identity as children of God. And it demonstrates the fact that we are partners in God's kingdom activities, that we share his priorities on earth, that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All right, and all of that, Remember that all everything we're going to talk about, because what's going to happen now is Paul throughout this chapter is going to start to define some characteristics of what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling on our life, the invitation to God's kingdom. And we're going to look at three characteristics this morning. And what I want you to remember throughout all of this is that everything that God calls us to, he also empowers us to live in through his grace and through his spirit. When God gives us an instruction or a command, it's never a challenge to us to try and make it happen. It is an opportunity for us to enter into a part of his nature and his life. And as we talk about these characteristics, that's what they are. They're characteristics of who God is that he wants his church to display in the earth. And he does that as we say yes, as we see uh, as we see what he is saying as an opportunity to enter in and to live differently than we have ever lived and to be different people than we have ever been by and through the power of God. That's what bearing fruit is all about. It's about connecting on a vital, intimate level with the Lord. And through that connection, feeding on him and his life and that life reproducing itself through us. It is a it is a very supernatural, amazing thing uh, to live this way with the Lord. So Paul is going to begin in this chapter uh, with this next verse. We'll just look at verse two this morning. Uh, he's going to begin to define some things. And so he comes out of that verse. He says, live a life worthy of your calling. And, and then he defines it, he says, living as becomes you, meaning as is appropriate for someone who is called of God. This is how that person lives. I want you to notice three terms here. He says, with complete lowliness of mind, this is the amplified, or humility, 
Okay, the first word that we're going to look at is humility. He says humility should mark our lives. In fact, it says there with complete humility. That that word in the Greek speaks of something that um, is is total, is complete, encompasses our whole being. So in other words, there should be an aspect of humility that can be seen in every part of our life. All right. The kicker is, like many terms that we find in the Bible, this term humility probably doesn't mean what you may think it means, but we'll get to that in a minute. So living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind or humility and meekness. Okay, that's a dinner table word, right? You use it every day, meekness. All right, with meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, and with patience. And here's the, here's the, here's the point. Bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. All right. So these qualities are aspects of God's love that is at work in us. All right. We know God loves us. Sometimes that's pretty amazing but God always loves us. We know that his love is selfless. We know that agape love uh, is toward us, lifts us up because we all know we don't deserve to be loved so completely. So we all know that about it. But the other part of it is that Paul tells us over in the book of Romans that that same love has been past tense, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when we can't love someone, when we can't be patient with them, when we can't express humility toward them, when we can't move in meekness, that just means we are not moving in the love of God. We are not allowing something that God has already put in us to override our own flesh and begin to flow out of us. The good news about that is it's in there. The love of God is toward you, but it is also in you. It's already there in the person of the Holy Spirit. You can love people. I can love people beyond my own natural ability. This is like anything else. Is this kind of ringing or is it just up here? Can you just pull it down just a little bit? Um, This is like anything else that we experience with the Lord. Any of his great promises, you have to receive it by faith because you're not always going to feel it. There are lots of situations where I don't feel like I love someone. And yet I know that if I will trust God and I will step back from myself and I will begin to bring them before the Lord, he will release that love through me and show me something totally different about them. Even if I cannot agree with one bit of their behavior or attitude or whatever, even if they've been super offensive toward me or toward somebody I love, no matter what the circumstances, you know, I, I love this bearing with one another and making allowances. Why? Because you love. Okay. Because you love. In other words, we give people a break. We decide to live 
by this, we, we, we refuse to just look at what the devil and sin have tried to create in a person or are even right now working through a person. And instead we say, no, I am going to look at what God sees in that person. I'm going to look at what God is endeavoring to create in that person. He has a purpose. He has a divine purpose for them. They are precious to him. They may not be living in that right now, but they are precious to him. And I will choose to let God's love show me how he sees them. You've got to, it, this has to work by faith. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right, so let's look at these terms. Uh, the first one is humility. All right, and I want to talk about it. It says that we should have a complete or total humility in our life. Um, so here's the thing. There's a lot of misunderstanding or, or I don't know, I guess misunderstanding about the term humility or being humble in the world and certainly in Christianity. All right. So the things that I'm going to read to you here, these are, these are straight out of the definition of these Greek words. But um, so Christian humility is not self-deprecation. It's not belittling yourself. It's not undervaluing yourself. It's not going around uh, with a mindset that says, I am unworthy, I am nothing. There, there's a lot of this in Christianity. There's a lot of this, this, there's sort of a false humility out there. I think it's a false humility that actually is an expression of pride. It is cloaked in what is supposed to look like humility, but the person who is a Christian, who is a child of God, would refuse to, to say that out loud, would refuse to say, uh, I have God's favor, would refuse to say what the Bible says about them, would absolutely refuse it. And instead, they will say right to you, no, no, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Uh, I'm, I'm nothing in the kingdom of God, that kind of thing. Now, and certainly we are not either supposed to be going around bragging you know, here's the bottom line. You cannot, it's impossible to truly understand the message of the gospel and what Jesus did for us on the cross and what the cleansing of his blood and the, the entrance into his kingdom. It's impossible to understand the fullness of what that has done for us, to understand what the gospel means and the fact that we are now children of God we don't even know what we will be. We are right now children of God. We are right now loved of God. We are right now accepted of God. All because of Jesus. None because of our merit. All because of him. It's impossible to really grab hold of that and not be humbled by it. If that makes you proud, you're missing the point. Because we all know, I didn't deserve that. I didn't, I, I, I wouldn't have any of that apart from him. It's all due to him. And we want to give him glory for it, but we don't need to apologize for it. We don't need to pretend that we're nothing at the same time. That's not what he has said about you. So if you're saying that, you are disagreeing with what God has said. All right, so Christian humility, it's, it's not going around thinking you're unlovable. You're incapable of doing anything good or anything right. That's not Christian humility. The Greek word here literally means to hold a correct or truthful estimation of yourself. 
to hold a correct or truthful estimation of yourself. So that means I'm not going around saying I'm better than I am, but I'm also not going around saying I'm less than I am. I am who I am by the grace of God. And, it, and I don't need to apologize for that. I don't need to apologize that the Bible says that I'm right now the righteousness of God in Christ. Do I always live that fully? No, but it's still the truth about me. All right. Do I always feel that? No, but my feelings don't define who I am. The word of God defines who I am. What God has said, who God has said you are, and what God has said you can do is the truth. All right, that is the truth. So if we're going to hold a truthful estimation of ourselves, then the truth is I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. I can't do it by myself, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me his own strength. All right, the truth is I'm a child of God. I'm a part of what he calls the family his beloved. All right. So you're not going to live a life worthy of your calling if you're convinced you're too unworthy to ever be called. All right. Doesn't mean God won't love you. Just means you're never going to live in the fullness of what he's done for you if you're convinced you're too unworthy to be called. And honestly, the people that I know personally, and I've had interactions like this many times over the years, who absolutely... You know, you can go up to them and say, you know, I I just, I love the way I see God working through you in the gift that you carry and the gift that you hold. It's really been a blessing to my life. And, and they'll just, oh, no, no, I'm nothing. I didn't do anything. I can't do anything. Or, you know, I, I had an interaction recently with somebody who was just shouting, I am no one. I am no one. I am no one. And it was supposed to be, in his mind, an act of humility before God. But it wasn't. It was calling attention to himself. It was pride cloaked as humility. It was false humility. But pride was the root of it. All right? I don't know if that makes sense to you. I'm sure you've experienced some of that. But we can't live a life worthy of our calling if we think we're too unworthy to be called or that we were called on the basis of how great we are. So either either pride or uh, self-deprecation, either one is going to take you out of the flow of the fantastic life, the abundant life that Jesus has given to you and your partnership in his kingdom. Does this make sense to you? Okay. This is really important that you understand this because a lot of these words, we use them different ways. Really important for us to understand this. All right, so over, you can go there with me if you'd like, or I'll just read them to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. All right, Romans 12, 3. It says, we're all familiar with this verse. It says, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Okay, so it may not read just the way that you're used to. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is Paul speaking. In other words, because he was an apostle and he had this role in their life. I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. 
Okay, and that's the part we usually get. Don't think you're better than you really are. Well, that's good advice, all right? Pride doesn't, pride, I don't even think the Bible says pride goes before the fall. It actually says pride goes before destruction. Pride is a, it's a bad deal. So don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Again, evaluate yourself according to truth. And he finishes it up saying, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Measuring yourselves according to faith. All right, let me read. I think the Passion Translation really gets it right here. It says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion. Okay, we don't need to promote ourselves. And not create a false image of your importance. Awesome. Good stuff. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. Then you will see, get this, you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Okay? You'll see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. The only way that we can hold a, I believe, a true estimation of who we are is by faith. What does that mean? That means I have to trust what God has said more than what I feel, certainly, more than what the devil, the accuser, likes to tell me, all right, more than uh, what what some people like to tell me that are being used by the accuser, okay? More than what mom said. Mom might have been nice. She might not. Mostly she said, you're perfect, and she still says it. You know, I mean, and we might need some of those voices in our life, but just keep it in line with faith. Trust what God has said. If God has said it about you, something that is yours because you are in Christ, all right, then it's the truth you're not going to feel like it a lot of the time. So I have to exercise faith and I have to say, no, this is who I am because this is who God says I am. As you begin to do that, that allows for that flow of grace as you extend faith toward God. God, you said that love has been shed abroad in my heart already by the Holy Spirit. I don't feel loving right now. I don't feel that, but I'm trusting that your love is there because you said it was there. You said, I can do all things. I can handle anything that comes at me through Christ. I can be content with, with prosperity or lack. I can learn how to walk that way. All these things that the scripture says about you, you have to exercise faith and faith connects with grace and allows it to flow through you and empower you to do and be something you could never do and be on your own, right? We talk about this all the time. That is bearing fruit. That is letting the life of Christ transform who you are. But if you continually say, no, I can't do that. I can't be that. If you believe the voices that are accusing you and putting you down, including and especially your own voice, if, if you trust those more than you trust God, you'll never manifest the stuff that God has uh, given to you and said about you, okay? So it's, it's very important for us to realize this and realize what we're supposed to be doing. It's not just about, you know, yeah, bragging about our own 
self, well, that's just stupid. But at the same time, I think most people, most Christian people tend to fall the other direction. And that's not appropriate either. Can you say amen? All right. Um, It is arrogant. It is not humble. It is arrogant to say things like, well, I'm just I'm just an old sinner. You're not an old sinner anymore. Not if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. You don't even have the nature of sin in you anymore. We all commit sins from time to time, but we've got to realize that's not my nature. That that addiction, that sin, that habit, that flow of cursing, that whatever it is that has been a part of my life, that is inappropriate to my new nature. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I still have this habit working in my flesh. I still have wrong thinking in my mind, but it is not who I am. And therefore it has to change as I begin to live from who I am. It is not humble to go around as a Christian your whole life, say that that you're an old sinner, that you're nothing, that you're, you know, refuse the idea that you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, refuse all those things. It is actually prideful because what you are saying, are you listening? What you are saying is, The blood that Jesus shed was not enough to deal with my particular sin. It was not enough to lift me into his kingdom. I am still this, okay? When you are not that anymore. And if we go around saying we are that, we are saying what Jesus did at the cross wasn't enough. We don't think of it that way, but that's exactly what we're saying. That is arrogance. That is arrogance to the extreme. To think that we can't change that our, my sin and my weakness and my frailty is more powerful than what Jesus did at the cross. That is not humility. That is not what the Bible calls humility, okay? Believing what God has said about you rather than your feelings, what other people have said, etc. It requires faith, but we've got to, we've got to estimate ourselves. We've got to measure ourselves by what God has said, all right? Um, I'll end this with this part with this. True humility allows the Christian to fully accept and enjoy the position and the benefits that are given us by grace. No apologies needed. No apologies needed for the fact that you have the favor of God on your life. It's available to everybody, by the way. No apologies needed for the fact that your sin is forgiven. No, no, uh, it's not necessary for us to try and pretend we never sinned, to try and pretend we're perfect, to try and pretend we've got it all. None of that's necessary. You are who you are by the grace of God, and you are accepted in the beloved simply because you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. All right. So humility, that whole that whole idea, should invade every part of our life. We should live as people who are forgiven. We should live as people who have a destiny in God, etc., etc. All right, let's move on. Meekness. All right. Next one he says we should have humility, we should have meekness. Okay? Meekness is a word we don't use much anymore anyway. If you grew up with the King James Bible, you're probably more familiar with it. 
But, but most of us, somewhere in our thinking, we kind of equate meekness with weakness. Uh, I think of, and this is too old probably for a lot of you, but I grew up watching MASH. Anybody remember MASH? Remember Father Mulcahy? Okay. Never, ha- never raised his voice. Okay. Never said a hard word. I mean, just that, think of the, of the Hollywood caricature of a preacher. These days, they're, they're evil, horrible, perverted people. I don't mean that. I mean, prior to that whole thing starting uh, with Hollywood, um, they were just so mild and so, you know, just, you know, we always walk around like this, you know, that kind of thing. That's what we think of as as meekness, what a lot of people think of as meekness. Here's what it really means, okay? So it doesn't mean weakness, doesn't mean you're a pushover, doesn't mean you have no boldness in your life. It doesn't mean any of that. Uh, meekness, this term from the Greek, it is an inward attitude primarily toward God, all right? For us, meekness is mostly about our attitude toward God. It is an attitude that recognizes how good are all God's dealings with us. This is the core of meekness. We are continually aware of how good God is and how good his dealings with us are. And in that place, we never resist him. We don't oppose him. We don't try and evade him. That's what meekness means. So what it comes down to is we stay teachable. We stay changeable. God can't, we, we fully, we are absolutely saturated with the idea that God, you are good and all of your dealings with me are good. And therefore, I am pliable in your hands. Take me the direction you want to take me. Change what you want to change in me. Prune what you want to prune from me. You bring your word. Challenge challenge my heart with your word because I know you're good and I will yield to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. That's meekness. Jesus is said to be, uh, this, this may not be exactly right, but it's very, very close to it, that he was the meekest person ever. He's the one that turned over the tables of the money changers, put a whip together and drove people out of the temple. Okay. So it, it doesn't, he's, he's the one that time after time stood up in the face of the religious hierarchy of that day, called them names, told them what they were, okay? That was Jesus, the meek person, okay? So it's, it's not about that, you know, we don't have to go around. You know, if that's your personality, if you're just a real mild, mild person, that's, that's fine. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, we're, not, we're also not supposed to be in your face all the time and angry and, you know, coming at people. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying usually when we think of meekness, it's like, uh-oh, I better never have a word to say. I better never have an opinion. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. It means God I know how good you are and I trust that goodness and I'll receive whatever you say to me, first of all, okay? Teachable, remain teachable, okay? You will only live a life worthy of your calling when you remain teachable and correctable. When you can receive that pruning that the Bible talks about, how the Lord will come along, he'll remove things 
from our hearts, from our lives, that are blocking the flow of growth from him. They are, they're, they're sucking the life out of us. I mean, you know, and I know we've been over this a lot of times, but I'm going to say it again. When you go out there to prune a tree, the way you're supposed to do it, I like to take a chainsaw and cut them right off at the bottom, but, you know, like bushes. You know, our, our uh, I have to say that I was chastised uh, to some degree for hacking down a lot of our lilacs when I pruned them one year. They have come back so well, haven't they? Giant leaves. They haven't produced any flowers. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> they love it. But anyway, that's not what God does. But but when we used to prune orchards over in Paonia, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a her bro, one of her brothers had there was some kind of bush out in their yard of wisteria, whatever that is. That this was in Albuquerque, and he just cut the thing down. And they had a I don't know how old Alex was when his son was a couple of years old or something. And they were carrying him out of the house one day, and and Kenny asked him, "What's that, Alex?" He said, "Stump." <laughs> so anyway, never mind. It's a it's a funny family thing. Um, when we were pruning in the orchards over in Paonia, you cut out the suckers, the stuff that was just going the wrong direction, and you shape the tree to get the most light and produce the most fruit. And that is what the Lord does in our life. And he does it through his word. He do, it's John 15. We don't have time to go there today. It's so clear. He does, if you just look at the language that's used, he, he tells the disciples, you're pruned already. Because of my word, because you've received his word. You know, we can, there are lots of ways that we can receive instruction and correction. We can receive some of it through teaching and through people. But if you will just make yourself open to the word, just stay in the word and receive whatever God brings, knowing that he's good. If you'll have that meek character within you, you'll just grow at his rate. You'll grow, you'll change, you'll be more open, you'll, you'll produce greater fruit your whole life long. It's really all we have to do is stay open to him, pursue him, love him, and let him speak to us, okay? Here's another thing about meekness. Got time for one more? It's good, because we're going to do it. Meekness recognizes the perfect goodness of God, okay? We got that, I think, and therefore hates and confronts sin as an enemy. Hates and confronts sin as an enemy, not sinners, as an enemy, okay? But sin, first of all, in our own lives. But also, if we're, if we're submitted in that way, we know God's dealing with people is good and it's for their good. We want that for everybody we care about. And we can, I mean, it can be hard. It can be grieving to watch people just give themselves to ungodly things and destroy their own lives. It's grieving, it's hard, and it grieves God's heart. But we, and this is one of the things we do in prayer a lot, we attack sin and the demonic forces that are trying to entice and delude people into godless ways of thinking and living. We're doing it not to prove we're right or better or something. We're doing it because we want God's best for their life. We want God's best for their life. And we believe God is good. He's perfectly good. Jesus was not sin friendly. 
You know, people throw up all these things. He says, oh, he went to the parties. Yeah, he did, but he didn't get drunk with everybody. He went, he said in our society, he would be canceled today. You know, he would not be able to be on Twitter because he said that people asked him, why are you always hanging out with this people? He says, because the sick that need a doctor, you know, so I'm there as a doctor. You're saying they're sick. You're saying there's something wrong. Yeah, he was saying there's something wrong and that he is the solution and he has the solution. He wasn't there getting blasted with them. He was there to interact and to love them and to bring them into a better life. Jesus, the meek person, hated sin and saw it as an enemy of everybody, all mankind. He laid down his life to undo its power. Okay, here's the last one on meekness. Meekness is continually aware of God's goodness. We got that right. And therefore, never blames God for the evil that comes from the actions of humans, of men, of people. Totally convinced God is good. So it develops this loyalty in us toward God. The meek person has a loyalty toward God. And no matter what goes on, and whether we understand what happened or not, we refuse to blame God for things that are in the earth as a result of the fall of man or the actual actions of other people. We don't blame God. Things that happen in life, hard things, tough things. We've talked about this many times. We make some of the worst theologies, the most inaccurate theologies when we're trying to explain why bad things happen on earth if God is good or why bad things happen to good people. It goes back to the fall. It goes back where this isn't heaven. It goes back to some really basic things, but that doesn't always satisfy us. And so we try to come up with a theology that God somehow did that. God somehow killed this person. God somehow released this plague. God somehow did this stuff. When this side of the cross, Jesus said he has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And the devil has come. The devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anyway, you, you know, we've done a lot of teaching on that. Don't have time to dig into it today. But this is part of the deal. That meekness, that loyalty, that, that it creates, that trust in us toward God, it refuses to blame God for things that happen in the earth as a result of the actions of people are just the result of the, the fall of man, okay? So when we don't understand something on earth, we don't make up a doctrine that's not scriptural and doesn't line up with the character of Jesus about it. All right, let's look at patience. We'll be done today. Third one is patience. All right, now this word for patience, y'all still with me? Did I mess something up? She's laughing. Oh, Okay. Patience, all right? This is, there are two different Greek words that are used for patience. Again, I know I've talked to you about this a lot, but that's okay. This one is macrothumia, okay? This is specifically patience toward people. God gave us a specific, this is the one that's used in Galatians chapter five. It is a fruit of the spirit, all right? So that means, what does that mean? It means I can grow in this, How do I do that? By spending time with God. Through intimacy with God, 
bringing his life into me, pulling on his life, drawing on him, that life produces this kind of patience. There's a totally different Greek word that that speaks of patience uh, with circumstances. All right, totally different word. We've talked about it a lot, hupomene, uh, but it's a different term. And I love that because that was considered to be just a grace, just a part of the outflow of the grace of God that we can be patient with circumstances, all right, with pressure that comes upon our life. God gives us this internal ability to stand up under pressure. Awesome. That's not this word. This word is the one that's the fruit of the Spirit, and it is specifically with people. How many? I'm glad God gave us a specific patience that's for, it's for using in relationship. You know, I think it's wonderful. And, and so, again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So if we're not experiencing it, we need to draw on God in this area because it's his life that'll produce this in us. All right. So uh, let me read this once again. This is part, the part where it says that our lives should, be, should have patience, bearing with one another and making allowances for one another. That's what it looks like. Because you love one another. All right. So this word specifically, patience with people, the passion translation in this verse in, uh, that we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, demonstrate generous love toward one another, especially toward those who try your patience. Demonstrate, how they put it, generous love toward one another, especially toward people that try your patience. This is the kind of verse we don't like to read. This is the kind of verse we like to just go by. We, you know, it's like, so, okay, okay. So, especially, God, did you have to put the word especially in there? Especially with those who try my patience? I would much rather be patient with those who don't try my patience. That's, that's pretty easy. But especially with those, that's what this patience is for. It's the ability to suffer long with another person with their failings, their behavior, their attitudes, whatever it is, with the goal of saving them from the ravages of sin. Does that make sense? Okay, so we are able to be patient. What does that mean? It means I can keep praying for them. It means I can keep ministering to them. I can keep speaking the truth to them. I can do my part. I can't control their reception. I don't try to control their reception. But I can, with this patience, continue to feed life toward that person's life. I can go out of my way to lay down my life, because that's what this kind of love does, for them, even though they don't deserve it. They are rejecting it. I can love somebody when that love is totally rejected. Why? Because I'm giving it away, right? You can't, well, I don't want them taking advantage of me. How can somebody take advantage of you when you gave them something? You're misunderstanding that word gift. You're using that word gift, but I don't think you know what it means, okay? A gift is something we give away. We let go of it. We release it. We do it out of love. I I gave it to them. If they ball it up and stomp all over it, it's not mine. It's theirs. I gave it to them. Okay? That's what this kind of patience will do. I can give. I can pray for them when they're saying, I don't want anybody praying for me. I can, I can love them. I can, I can help them in any way that I can, even when 
they're rejecting it without losing my patience, without getting angry, right? Okay, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And you guys, I'm not going to go there today, but Galatians chapter 5, if you read verses 16 through 22, it talks about the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And it begins by saying that the way that we walk in the Spirit, the way that we reproduce the Holy Spirit is or the, the way that we do this whole thing. I'd say in the King James Version, it's translated long suffering. Okay, long suffering. Sometimes you suffer for a long time as this is flowing through. But Paul said they're bearing with one another. And that is a um, the idea of forbearance or bearing with another person. That is a part of this word. And what that word literally means is when we bear with somebody, we are making an effort to hold them back from falling. Okay, so what we're doing in their life, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through kindness, whether it's through listening, whether it's through any of these different avenues that we have in somebody's life, our heart is to hold them back from falling, from collapsing, from ruining their life. All right. So this isn't just this kind of patience, like everything else in the love of God. It isn't just about you not being aggravated, right? It isn't just about you not being awake at night. It is about, it is a flow of life that God can pour through you that can hold someone back from completely falling. And I'm telling you, there are times where it'll look for years and years and years like somebody, and they are, they're, they're doing their best to run off a cliff. They're doing their best. I mean, they wouldn't look at it that way, but they are living a lifestyle that's going to bring, it has brought nothing but pain to those around them. It will bring nothing but pain to those around them and to them. It, it is just, they are just running as hard as they can away from God and off a cliff. This fruit of the Spirit will allow us to continue to pray for them, to love them, to, uh, you know, to minister to them, okay? So that's that's what macrothumia is. It's God's power working in us, enabling us to bear with another's failings in an effort to hold them back from destroying their own lives, all right? It manifests itself, I'll just read this to you, in a firm but quiet patience that will continue to pray when prayer is rejected, love when love is rejected, give aid, counsel, correction, instruction, some of the most frustrating situations in your life. All right, just a couple more things. This kind of patience, macrothumia, doesn't mean you become an enabler. There are times where the Lord, in, in this patience, God will direct your steps. Um, the world, you know, in the last couple of decades has developed this thing about tolerance and now it's up to it's moved from tolerance to celebration we're supposed to celebrate other people's sin macrothumia does not celebrate other people's sin meekness doesn't celebrate other people's sin all right it has compassion on them it it loves them but it, it's not this thing of oh everything you're doing is just wonderful and all that no it recognizes the problem but it doesn't allow that to agitate us, to draw us into anger. We keep ministering to people. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, so this doesn't mean you become 
an enabler, that you celebrate somebody's sin, that you pretend that every lifestyle is okay, doesn't mean any of that. In fact, a lot of times the reason this is called long-suffering is because you will suffer long grieving over the self-destruction that you're seeing in somebody that God loves and somebody that you therefore love, okay? Um, so the bottom line of all of this, and, the, and Paul said it in this verse, he said, bear with one another because you love them, because of the love of God in us. And this is what I, I will say in closing about that. We do need to give one another a break. I started out with this. Give people a break. You know, we've become a society that is quick to point fingers, quick to trash people online, quick to, if we have a disagreement, we have to blow up about it. That's not the spirit of God. It's not how God deals with it. You can have a solid opinion on what you believe, but how you live that out is a whole different thing. You know, if we look at people, we look at one another. I think sometimes it's just because we see some of their traits in us, and so it really agitates us. Man, you know, work on the log in your own eye first, but then it does say, help your brother get the speck out of his eye. Doesn't say ignore your brother. Just says deal with your own stuff first. And, and this, you know, we need to look at one another and realize every person on the planet, well, that's the wrong way to say it. For all of us believers, hopefully, we are in a process of growth, okay? We're not perfect. We still make a lot of mistakes. We're not perfect. Don't be so quick to be offended. Allow these qualities to work in you so you're really hard to offend. Okay, love each other, have compassion for each other, give each other a break. You know, I mean, I see this so much people, you know, they're just so quick to attack other Christians. They're quick to attack preachers, certainly churches, this, that, oh, everything's wrong. The whole whole American church is just so awful because they're not doing it the way I think they should do it. And I'm just thinking, give us a break, you know, deal with your own stuff for a while. Give us a break. And I just think, you know, that needs to be our attitude. Again, doesn't mean we don't believe something. Doesn't mean we don't have a solid understanding of what's true and what's false, what's good and what's evil. Doesn't mean that. But man, from our hearts, God wants to reach people. And that needs to be our heart too. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand up and pray. Sweet. Three minutes before 11. Mark it on the calendars. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I sow this into your lives so I can reap it back a hundredfold. <laughs> Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. And, and I just pray, Lord, out of all of that that was spoken, Lord, that you would speak the specific things to us, birth in us what we need in order to live these lives as people who are called into your kingdom, called as your children. Lord, we honor that and value that this morning. And we need you to birth that in us by your love and your grace and your word so that, Father, we can reflect you out into our lives. And if there, I know there are, I know in all of us, there are specific situations that have come to mind this morning. And Father, I ask for your help with those specific people and realities that are in my life right now, Lord, where I don't treat them right, I think the wrong thing, I sometimes say the wrong thing, 
Father, I ask your forgiveness and I ask you, Lord, to continue to birth all of these qualities in me and in us as a congregation. Lord, we let go of those offenses. We let go of our approach to these situations and we ask you, Lord, help. Help us to express your love, Father, in a more pure and clean way. Show us how to do it, God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good seeing everybody today. We never know if anybody's going to be back in town or what. So, all right, let's say it on the count of three. Let's say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison base in the world. And then you guys go out there and be the church this week, right? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.